0: Hey, y'all, I'm Justin Mitchell, and this is Out Here in America. It's a new show from the Sun-Herald in Biloxi, Mississippi, and McClatchy. Before we get to the episode, we wanted to introduce y'all to our friend Evan Wolfson. He's the founder and former president of Freedom to Marry. That's the campaign that won nationwide marriage equality before the Supreme Court in 2015. Now we're excited to help them get the word out about an amazing new project. Hi, Evan. Hi,
1: Justin. Hi, Justin. As you know, we've achieved a dream that I'd pursued for more than 30 years, and our movement had pursued for more than 40 years. But while we've won the freedom to marry in law, the marriage conversation is still a powerful engine of transformation that can continue to build support in the South and elsewhere. The case before the Supreme Court and the decades-long struggle that led to it has been made into a documentary by Eddie Rosenstein called The Freedom to Marry.
0: Supreme Court says it will take up the issue of same-sex marriage. The biggest gay rights ruling ever.
1: This is about the dignity of millions of Americans. The essence of the right to marry is the freedom to marry the person you choose. Evan is the visionary behind this movement. His
2: true gift was to be the marriage guy.
1: Because I knew that this was a national conversation that was going to change everything. It's been four plus decades of work. Evan, it's good to have you back. You have worked more than anybody else on this. And now, America is ready for the freedom to marry. This documentary is being embraced around the world. It contains the lessons for how to achieve change, not just for LGBT causes, but for any cause in any country. And in fact, Justin, this documentary is coming to Biloxi for a community screening with the Sun, Harold, and McClatchy at the end of July. I'm sure you'll tell them more about it. But for now, people can also learn more about the film at freedomtomarrymovie.com. And they can watch it themselves on iTunes. And I look forward to being back in Mississippi in July.
0: Thanks, Evan. Our team in D.C. and Biloxi are finalizing the details for this amazing event. But if you'd like to get a head start on this unforgettable night, tune in to next week's episode for more details. Until then, let's get back to today's episode. Growing up in Mississippi means there are more churches than Starbucks, and it's likely one or more of your friends has a Bible verse or two tattooed on their body. My childhood was heavily influenced by Catholic Mass with my grandfather, preparing for my First Communion, and riding down the beach after church. After all, my church was across the street from the Gulf of Mexico. My grandfather prayed the rosary every single day. He passed away when I was in middle school, and six priests spoke at his burial mass. That was a big deal to my family. By the time I entered high school, though, I realized I was something the Catholic Church scorned. I was gay. The older I got, the more I strayed away from the religion that once rooted who I was. I gave up on something I felt had given up on me. But is that how religion has to work? I sat down with Reverend Errol Montgomery Robertson to find out. He's a priest at the Lighthouse Community Church in Biloxi. Compared to most churches in Mississippi, his congregation is mostly LGBTQ.
2: We wanted to be stewards of the people that society and other churches have thrown away.
0: That makes sense for the Reverend, who is an out gay man himself. We talked about his relationship with God and organized religion, and his own amazing journey to find peace in Mississippi, on Out Here in America.
2: Well, I am um, in my mid-50s. I've uh, been ordained a priest for 21 years. Remember when Jesus was being baptized by John in the Jordan River? Uh-huh. And what did the voice from heaven say? This is my the beloved God. son. I was ordained an Episcopal priest. I'm my, Now my orders are held in a small, um, very progressive Christian denomination known as the Progressive Episcopal Church. I'm the pastor of House Community Church, which is kind of an ecumenical, non-denominational church over in Biloxi. Came out after a traumatic brain injury about six years ago and just trying to figure out how the best I can contribute and be a positive influence in my community.
0: Can you maybe give us just some background on the importance of organized religion in Mississippi and in our area?
2: We are the buckle of the Bible Belt. I mean, the first thing that people ask you is, you know, who are your people? And the second question is, and where do you go to church? You know, so that's just kind of common discourse down here. And whether you're practiced or not, people identify, well, for the most part, well, I'm a Christian. And you ask them what that means, well, you get various answers, but that seems to kind of dominate the whole ethos down here. Opinions, the way people act, the way people treat one another, not necessarily in the positive sense. But everybody identifies, you know, so we're white, we're Christian, and that's who we are down here. And so it permeates everything that people do. Even if they don't attend church, they say, well, the Bible says, actually, that's what they think the Bible says, but but everything kind of goes back to that. And they use that to justify their outlook, their worldview.
0: Are you from the South originally?
2: No, I'm originally from California, but um, people think California is a very liberal state, but... I came from the southern end of the San Joaquin Valley, which is a very agricultural area. If you've ever read John Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath, that's the area that folks from the Dust Bowl migrated to. So it has very southern, midwestern values and outlooks. So it's very similar to Mississippi in that regard. So when did your relationship with God and with the church start? Uh, It's kind of hard to say because I grew up in the church, and so it's always been a part of my life. I always had this sense and knew that there was something beyond myself. But at the same time, I also, even from very young, had this inkling that I was different. And so I just kind of thought, well, maybe to please God, I will just throw myself into it. So I became very enamored with the scriptures, with the church, the whole culture. Now, I must bracket that and say that I didn't grow up in an evangelical church. I grew up in a very conservative Lutheran denomination. So there's still that kind of liturgical, sacramental kind of feel about it. I felt like I had to kind of appease God. And so for a while I explored the evangelical movement. Now this was in the middle to late 70s where everyone was talking about end times. You know, the hell ends the late great planet Earth scared the crap out of me.
1: Hail and fire mixed with blood fell upon the earth and the sun was allowed to scorch the men with fire.
2: Then I began to see that there was a heaviness about it. It just didn't quite feel like something was right. I didn't know what it was. And so I went back to the liturgical sacramental tradition.
0: How has your relationship with God and religion changed over time since
2: you've come out? Um, Well, it's been kind of a love-hate relationship, actually. (laughs) And sometimes I'm having to hang on to my faith, you know, at the tips of my fingernails. I think that I'm coming into my own as far as rejecting the image of God that I've been presented and kind of reformulating my own concept and my own relationship with God. One that's much more gracious, that's more open, that's more expansive, that's more accepting of myself as well of others. And so it's still in flux to a certain extent, which I think is probably as human beings if we're honest. It's always going to be in flux. We're always going to have those doubts, we're always going to have those questions and I think that's a good thing. I think as far as faith it's more about the questions and the journey that occurs while we're asking those questions than it is about any answers.
0: I grew up in the area and A lot of people kind of migrated from New Orleans, so it's just a heavy, prominent Catholic community. And I grew up going to Mass with my grandpa, and we'd go on Saturday mornings to a church, and I really kind of learned the kind of mannerisms of Mass through him and going and watching him when I was a kid. How to kneel and how to pray and how to take that time after communion, even though I couldn't take it at the time, and just talk to God and breathe and just listen and adore He used to pray the rosary with the Catholic channel every afternoon at 2.30. And when I was a kid, if we got in trouble, my grandma would make us go sit with him in his room and pray the rosary with him for 30 minutes. And it felt like four hours, you know. You know, as I grew older and learned to find myself, I just strayed more and more away from the church because a lot of homilies, especially here, it was just very much being gay is bad or being gay is a sin. And it kind of drove me away But I often think I still have that feeling that, you know, something is there. And there was something so beautiful about going to church with my grandpa when I was a kid. But why would I go somewhere that doesn't
2: believe in me? Like, Mm -hmm. why should I believe in them? Exactly. Exactly. You know, I think the legalism is what's turned so many folks off. It's what turned me off. But if I'm honest about it, though, too, I have to admit that legalism and denouncing others, it's based in fear. And I noticed that for myself, the times in my life that I've become more legalistic and more rigid have been the times that I've been the most fearful, the most insecure in myself, and the most fearful about people discovering who I really was. And so I understand that mindset. Having said that, though, we forget that the gospel is about love, and love casts out all fear and so there's been this big disconnect between as you you know mentioned churches as you kind of feel drawn to in your heart but yet the experience doesn't always match up. Absolutely. My grandfather died when I was in middle school and my mom had always just
0: asked me for your grandpa can you please just go through confirmation and that happens when you're 16 or 17. So I confirmed in the church and went through high school and it was fine but it was in college when I quit going and when I came back home from college I'll never forget this day. I went to a restaurant with one of my closest friends who is super Catholic. Her whole family's Catholic. So we just went to this restaurant to eat. And the guy who used to go to church with us was our server. And he never saw me at church or saw me talk about church. And he asked me, well, do you just not believe anymore? I mean, do you mm. just not believe in God anymore? And that just kind of took my breath away. And it's something that really kind of was like, I can't believe he really thinks that about me because I don't go to church. or right. And it was, it was just one of those things that's like, wow, are things really that disconnected? Am I just this super odd person who loves God but is still a sinner, you know?
2: You know, it's like I always say, I love God, but it's this fan club that I have the problem with. (laughs) You know, I I can very much relate to what you're saying, you know, as far as the the liturgy, the mass. There's something otherworldly about it, Someplace that's kind of peaceful, that's contemplative, rather than, and I don't mean to be derogatory, but I perceive kind of mainstream evangelical worship as being very much about me, 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 and very much about performance rather than entering into the mystery, entering into the quiet, entering into peace, which I think which what religion is really supposed to be about, is connecting. And I don't see a lot of connection there. I see a lot of passiveness. But at the same time, the very place that you find that peace, that you find that wholeness in a way, is the very place that often rejects us or makes us feel unwelcome or unworthy. Errol, can you
0: tell us about The church you grew up in versus the church where you work now?
2: Ah, okay. The church I grew up in was, uh, the pastor was like in his 80s, he's like he'd come out of retirement like three or four times, and um, it was very rigid. And while Lutherans, the, the big thing is about grace, God's grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, about how God's love is expansive and accepts us all, and there's no sinner too great, I didn't see or experience a lot of grace. It was more about what we're against. It was more about towing the line than it was about God's grace and love and mercy. Our congregation, um, being the first year, has been kind of basically kind of finding out who they are as a people and coming together and building our own identity. We've done a lot of healing among ourselves, and I think the time is to take the next step and move beyond ourselves. We live out the gospel in everyday life through our baptismal covenant. We allow Jesus to live through us as he gave his life for the world. I'm really big on talking about the fact that church isn't the place you meet and it isn't what we do on Sundays. Church is who we are out in our communities, in our schools, in our works. It's how we live our lives the rest of the week outside of Sundays. So I, I say we're not called to do church we are called to be the church.
0: How long have you been here now?
2: I've been on the coast now about seven years.
0: When you were called here, did you think you would be here for a long time?
2: No. <laughs> when I got called to Mississippi, it's like, oh God, is this some kind of joke? You know, a west coast person who served, parishes up north, to come to the deep south. I thought this was just a horrible, horrible joke on God's part. I thought, you know, I'd be here a few years, and I would um, move on to greener pastures.
0: Why is it important to you to preach the Word of God here in a place that's known for its intolerance?
2: I have to live here. There's other people like me. There's people that are hurting. There's people that are hearing a message that isn't of God, that isn't the Christian message, that isn't holy and lives are being destroyed. And if I don't do it, who will? I don't want people to have to experience what I've been through, the pain, the agony, the turmoil. I find a lot of my ministry is undoing years of bad teaching, of undoing the rhetoric, undoing the warped theology, and trying to build them up again. So it really is sort of a it's a healing profession in a lot of ways. You know, My job is spiritual healing. I just want to pass on what I've received. Do you mind telling us your coming out story? I was kind of uh, forced out of the closet. As I said, I was raised in a very conservative area in a conservative church, and so being different was never really an option. I kind of figured, well, it's an affliction like anything else. You know, It doesn't have to define me. And so I fear, well, if I do the right things, serve God and do what's expected of me, God will somehow change me, heal me, you know, work it out or make me able to bear that cross. And I remember in, you know, in high school crying myself to sleep every night and just praying, God, take this away from me. I don't want to be gay. I don't want to be gay. I don't want to be gay. Just the inner turmoil of that. So I kind of threw myself into church work at that point point. I married a girl that I went to high school with, loved her, but realized that there wasn't the attraction there. But I took vows, and I was going to stick by those, and I did care about her. And I figured, well, love isn't always a feeling, but it's always an action. I'm going to do the best I can, and it'll take care of itself. I moved down here, I accepted a call, and we were um, separated temporarily because of selling a house and kids in school, that sort of situation. When I came down here, I had a major car accident and um, ended up with five closed brain hemorrhages. Through the therapy and everything else coming out, we realized that because of my values, I was in such pain and I wanted to die, but I couldn't commit suicide. And that was a big turning point for me. You know, once I realized I'd been given a second chance because I really should not have survived. My whole mindset changed it's like you know what if this is who I am, why can't that be a good thing? why can't that be celebrated? Why can't that be offered up to God in a whole way you know that instead of being somebody I'm not being who I am so I started dating but I was keeping it all in a very hush hush um, I was still a part of the congregation I had ser- last served and somebody suspected something and um, I was asked to resign my credentials or I was going to be, in essence, excommunicated under suspicion of being gay. No one had ever talked to me, no one ever asked me about it. They just went straight there. I was supposed to do a wedding for my nephew back in California and it was in a Lutheran church and um, once I had my credentials removed, I was no longer allowed to do that wedding. So I had to kind of, in essence, well, I can't do the wedding, well, why, well, I've been asked to resign, why, well. I'm gay you know and so that's kind of how it happened and I wasn't sure how to navigate that at that point everything that I known in my life was suddenly stood on end or had been taken away
0: how did your family react
2: a lot better than I anticipated my um, dad said he had always had an inkling but he never addressed it my mom well how come I didn't know you know she was just kind of oblivious to the whole thing and then she kind of started blaming herself. I did this when I was pregnant or I didn't do this or, you know, whatever, you know, she tried to blame herself on that. My sister says, not a big deal, I've always known, you know, so it's kind of like everybody sort of knew except my mom and they handled it fairly well. As a matter of fact, my husband and I, when we um, decided to get married, we got married in California and my parents had our reception for us in their backyard. Wow, beautiful. So it worked out really well. And then what about your wife and your children? Well, you know, I came out after my wife had already decided to file for divorce. So the gay thing really wasn't the issue for the divorce, but it's kind of become a big thing since then. And so I'm not really, um, the communication has been very minimal. She's kind of kept the boys away from me. And so it's, that's been difficult. That's been something that's been a major hurt.
0: Let's talk about that day and 2015 when gay marriage became legal across the nation.
1: And good morning, we have an NBC News special report. We have breaking news coming from the US Supreme Court.
0: Tell
2: me about going to the courthouse and
0: how that was for you.
2: Oh, wow. You know, we were all on pins and needles that day. Any moment we could be called to the courthouse knowing that people were gonna wanna get married. And um, I was just kind of a basket case because I was the point person down here and I ended up having a meltdown just before going down there. Um, I appreciated and recognized the gravity and the, the weightiness of the situation, that this was something that I never thought I would see in my lifetime in Mississippi.
0: This morning, the Supreme Court recognized that the Constitution guarantees marriage equality. In doing so, they've reaffirmed that all Americans are entitled to the equal protection of the law, that all people should be treated equally, regardless of who they are or who they love.
2: Saying those words, it was like, ah, we've arrived. My marriage was affirmed and the relationships of others were affirmed. It was a feeling that unimaginable. Going down the courthouse and, you know, couples that had been together 11, 12, 13 years. The very first couple I married had been together, not quite that long, but um, a lesbian couple. And it's like, you know, we need to do this. Bobby and Celeste, today you begin a new journey in your relationship as you make vows of civil and public significance. I was the only clergy person down here that stood up and was willing to do, um, to officiate same-sex weddings right after that decision. Now that Bobby and Celeste have given themselves to each other by solemn vows. As a matter of fact, I think I was the second in the state, the first down here on the coast. And I, I failed to meet that First goal by 30 minutes. By the power vested in me by the state of Mississippi, I pronounce you legally married. You may kiss your spouse.
0: (laughs) Let's talk about the church now. Tell me how Lighthouse came about and where you are today with it.
2: You know, there seemed to be a hunger for spirituality. People hadn't given up on the idea of God, they haven't given up on the idea of their spirituality, but they've given up on the churches as institutions, and there wasn't a place for them. And so there was this hunger, this need, and I kept hearing it from a lot of people, you need to start something, you need to start something, you need to start something. I him and hawed for about a year, started advertising on Facebook about the possibility, seeing if there was any interest, started looking for a place to have this. My husband is a real estate agent, and so his broker offered the use of their conference room. Very small, no windows. We squeezed 37 people into that small space with people overflowing into the hallways at the very first service. We wanted to be stewards of the people that society and other churches have thrown away or dismissed. All would be loved, and all would be treated and know their worth as beloved children of the Father. And that's what we endeavor to do as Lighthouse Community Church. Were you surprised by that? I was very surprised. People that I would never have imagined came out. You know, we had folks who identified as basically non-believers at this point, people who embraced paganism, people who identified as Wiccan. We had trans folks, we had gay folks, we had lesbians, we had straight folks. I was very much surprised. I think the idea that a place where everyone was welcomed, everyone was loved, and everyone's gifts and talents were wanted and needed was something that people wanted to hear and needed to hear and the time just seemed to be right after that first month and a half to two months being packed in like sardines, I started looking for another place for us to meet. And Church of the Redeemer um, in Biloxi lost their church during Hurricane Katrina. But the parish hall survived and they had a small chapel in there. They've opened up Miller Hall, which was their parish hall, for social justice organizations. Steps Coalition, the Biloxi NAACP. And so they offered us the use of the space on Sunday mornings. And so we moved in to there um, last March. I know dark clouds will gather around
1: me. An arrest has been made in connection to the St. Martin stabbing that left one transgender woman dead in a hotel Saturday night. Today, the Jackson County Sheriff's Department arrested 20-year-old DeWine.
0: At your church, you guys do a lot of community work with the LGBT community, and you held a vigil for Dee Wiggum, right? Yes.
2: Dee Wiggum was, um, if I remember correctly, she was a transgendered woman, um, was down here for an event, and um, she was murdered.
1: uh, We've worked hard on this case. Our investigators have worked hard. You know, Saturday night, all Saturday night, all day,
2: yesterday, Sunday, and here we are Monday afternoon with the rest. It was the first trans death that we at least knew about down here on the coast, and so it hit particularly home. The fear, the, the sorrow was just palpable. That could have been me. It could have been any one of our loved ones, of our friends, and we recognized that we needed to somehow recognize that pain, that fear, And come to terms with it. Thank you so much for coming tonight as we honor the memory of Dee Wiggum and pray for peace and pray for healing and pray for wholeness within our community and the world. Folks came and folks, you know, mourned. It was a place just to, a safe place for folks to be with their feelings. As human persons, we're not just in our head, we're not just in our hearts. All of our bodies need to express that sorrow, or whatever it is. And this was an opportunity for folks to act out what they were feeling in symbolic form.
0: What do you think keeps your congregation members up at night when they
2: think about the future here? I think they're worried about their rights being curtailed. I think they're worried about whether their marriages are going to be recognized, whether they're going to be able to make medical decisions or financial decisions for one another. They fear for their personal safety. They fear for the quality of their
0: lives. Do you think that it's changing here in any way for the good or do you
2: think it's still bad? You know, you can find anecdotes in both directions, both positive and negative. My husband and I, for example, We've only encountered one negative situation the time we've been together. We've been together almost five years. For the most part, people have been very friendly. They've been excited for us. They've been um, very much affirming. But at the same time, you just go north of I-10, where folks are a little bit more, well, mainstream deep south, you know? And I don't mean that as a pejorative, but as far as unenlightened ideas and unenlightened concepts, and um, it's a scary thing. So we're always kind of walking around looking with one eye forward and one eye behind us. You know, we can't just totally relax and just be who we are. I've tried to integrate as much as possible, and hopefully I've made a positive impact, and I will continue to do so while I'm down here. It's like, you know what, I've got work to do, and the work's not done yet. But I know that in my hardest of days, I so want to leave. I don't want to spend my whole life having to fight. You know, I spend so much of my life running away from joy that I don't want to do that for the last part of my life. And so I want to be someplace that's more amenable, where I can be more open, more out, not afraid to hold my husband's hand walking down the street, So I think eventually down the road we're going to try to get out of here. We met some wonderful people down here. Uh, This is the place where I discovered myself, where I met my soulmate, but hearts are a long ways from being changed. I want to ask you as kind of a personal question, what advice
0: would you give to someone like me who's struggling with religion, who maybe doesn't think they would step into a church that wasn't a church they grew up in, even though they don't practice currently?
2: You know what, I believe that God has placed his indelible mark upon us. By our very creation, we're beloved and God's never gonna let us go. And so I don't think it's so much of not worrying about being in church. Your faith is still there, my faith is still there. It's finding a place where our faith is affirmed and is allowed to flourish. And if that means not going to church right now for a period of time, well, that's okay. You know, for us, we're not big on doctrine, we're not big on confessions of faith, show me what you believe by how you live your life. Every person is on their own journey and we respect that. We just define God as love. And this is a place where if you want to enter into that love and be loved, you're welcome and received. Uh, And society sets standards of what's right and wrong, taboo, blah, blah, blah. That's spiritual BS. That's right. This is God's table, it's not my table. That's right. Whether you believe right now or you don't believe or you're questioning or you have other beliefs, you are still God's beloved and you are welcome to partake of that love.
0: In the time since the Reverend and I last spoke, religion and gay marriage made news again in Mississippi. On June 22nd, a judge's ruling allowed HB 1523 to become law of the land in the state and it allows business owners to deny service to LGBTQ people like me. But like Reverend Montgomery Robertson, the gay community in Mississippi will continue to fight for our human and civil rights. Our community has a lot of support here from a lot of people who think that we deserve the same rights as everybody else. If you wanna learn more about White House Community Church and Reverend Montgomery Robertson, go to sunherald.com. That's where you'll also find my response to this new discriminatory bill. Thanks to our Out Here in America team, Amanda McCoy, Jordan Marie Smith, and Davin Coburn. And thanks to Jason Shaw for the music. Find Out Here in America on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to your favorite shows. In the meantime, I'll see y'all next week on Out Here in America.